All right, I think we're going. Hello, hello. Welcome, everybody. I am Dan, your friendly fishmonger from dansfish.com, and I'm glad to have you all here. We do this every Wednesday night, 7 p.m. Mountain Time. And uh, yeah, so I've got some things I'm going to get to today. Um, I... <laughs> <laughs> I totally spilled all over my desk, so it's a little wet, my list, but um, I'm going to get to some questions. There's some folks that have asked some uh, questions in the last few days that I thought would make good things to do on the live stream. So um, here's kind of the things I'm going to talk about briefly before I get to your questions and comments, which if you're new here, if you make your question or comment at Dan's Fish, so it highlights for me like Reels Tanks did just there, hi. And Candy Overholes did. Hey, Candy, thanks for letting me know audio and video are good. Um, then I will see it and jump right to it. If I'm missing your question or comment or you're not getting a response, it's not because I'm ignoring you. Don't leave in a huff. People do that sometimes. It's because I'm just not seeing it um, because it's not highlighting for me. But I'll get to every question and comment that highlights for me. So far, I've been able to do that. So if I'm accidentally not seeing your comment or it's not highlighting for me, and you've tried a couple times, instead of getting frustrated, just let the mods know and the mods will get it to my attention. They know how to uh, get it to highlight in front of my face and then I'll get to it. So here's kind of what we're going to look at. Um, I've decided one change I'm going to make is usually in these streams, I would show you what I'm planning to get in or what I just got in. But what that ends up doing is resulting in a ton of emails <laughs> and Facebook messages from folks saying, um, Hey, did you get those in? I want some, or can you tell me about those? And, and sometimes they didn't come in the order or they're not ready to sell yet. So it creates on my end, it creates this backlog of extra um, emails and communication, which I like communicating with you guys, but I, I need it to be as efficient as it can be. So I've decided that I'm not going to uh, feature new fish until they're actually ready to sell and are posted. So I'm going to skip that this week mainly because I've been so darn busy that I haven't, I have several species ready to go, but um, I haven't been able to get them listed. So that's my project for tomorrow. Anyway, what we're going to deal with is uh, I've, I've had some questions about how to develop a line with live bears, say guppies, things like that. How do you develop a line? So I'm going to talk briefly about that. Um, question about warm weather shipping. When do you stop using heat packs? What's kind of the procedure there? Uh, it's a tricky, it can be a tricky time, spring and fall. So I'll tell you about when I stop, what my decisions are for that. Um, and then real quickly, I want to mention two things. One is that I just released a video on uh, the black tiger Dario, which is now being called Dario species uh, Myanmar. Um, and a lot of that video focused on how to sex those fish because people are continually frustrated. They want females. And people send them what they think are females, but they're actually subdominant males that aren't colored up. It, they can be difficult to sex. So I went through kind of my methods of doing that. And by the way, it's it's hard. I get it wrong a lot. So I can't ever perfectly guarantee the sex on that fish. But Michael Wilson was nice enough to message me and tell me that he has a method that doesn't use color or finage or anything like that at all. It just uses kind of the underside of the fish. If it's, if it's concave, then... It's a male, so if the belly kind of indents towards the fish, up towards the spine, it's a male. And if it's convex, if the belly kind of comes down away from the spine, then it's a female. That's 
that's the method he shared with me that he's had some success uh, using to sex that fish. And he's bred uh, some Dario species and some Battis species and stuff. So I just thought I'd pass that on to folks and to thank Michael Wilson for mentioning that. Um, so that might be a way to do it that works for some folks better than color and finage and things like that. They, they are little chameleons. They change their color at, wheel, at will. In fact, Battis Battis used to be called the chameleon fish and the Dario Dario are very closely related or in the Dario species, uh, Myanmar are very closely related to the Battis Battis. So they all kind of change color. And the, the other thing I want to do real quick, get out of the way, is just share this with you. Um, Greg Jones reached out and the, he wanted to make everyone aware of the American Cichlid Association having their convention. So I wanted to bring this up and share this webpage with you where you can come, uh, cichlid.org, and check out all the stuff for the convention. It's going to be in Cromwell, Connecticut. And so if you're interested in cichlids, then go take a look-see. There's going to be some kind of like YouTube video drive, I think, getting attention spread. So you might start seeing a lot of videos from people to promote that. Um, I'm probably not going to make a specific video or get on board with any like paid promotion or anything. But I, I do think it's a worthy cause and so in an awesome thing. So I just wanted to bring that to your attention briefly. So real quick, let's start with... Um, Oh, and how to develop a group on the getgills.com website. I've had that question. So I'll look, I'll look at that briefly. So that's the docket for the day in case you're wondering what we're going to be doing. And when we're done all that, then we'll get to your questions and comments. So I have totally lost. There it is. <laughs> okay. 51 watching. Welcome, everybody. Glad you're here. Um, 54 Punchy made it. Hey, that's a treat. So glad you could make it. Um, Killers Aquatics is here and... I haven't looked, let me see, if Lumpy Dog's here, hey Lumpy Dog, if not, then I'll probably see you a little later, Lumpy Dog. Those are my main mods. So how to develop a guppy line? I'm assuming that anyone that asks that question is fairly new to live bears in, in developing a line, right? Obviously. So I'm going to tell you the simplest way. There's many, many ways. Some can involve lots of different aquariums up to you know a dozen aquariums easily per line is you really selectively breed and really purify that line i'm not going to talk about that though i think the easiest way for someone just starting out to kind of start understanding how to develop a line you can do it with a single aquarium or with two aquariums but it's basically get your starting group put them in the tank and it's called P1, the, the first generation. And it can be a line that's you're, you know, you're trying to get going, or it can be a brand new line you're starting by crossing two different color variations or even hybridizing two species like endlers and guppies. And I know there's a lot of hate out there about that. I get that, but it is commonplace in the live bearer hobby. And as long as you're upfront about it and not misleading anyone, then you know then people can make their choice if they want to get that fish or not. But so you start there, put them in an aquarium. I would make it heavily planted. I like Java moss and uh, water sprite just because it's hardy. It, it's hard to kill. The water sprite stays at the top. Java moss takes care of the, of the bottom. And if half to two thirds of the aquarium is kind of covered in these plants, then um, there's lots of hiding places for the fry. So I just put the parents in there, feed them really well, let them drop the fry 
And the easiest way to do this is let that go a while when those fry or even the next generation has uh, grown up to the point where you can see the finage and color they're developing. And if you want it or not, then what I would do is take everyone out of the tank that isn't looking really good, kind of select down a small group of the very best of what you have in that tank after a generation or two. Remove all the rest of the fish. You could sell them off. You could give them away. You could put them in tank number two if you wanted and let it go again. Another generation, maybe two. select the best of that group, get everyone else out of the tank and start again. That's that's the easiest, easiest way to do it. Now, it's going to take a little longer because it's hard to um, some of those females are going to get we call it hit. Um, I, I suppose it's fertilized by the uh, a male that might not be perfect or something before you take them out. So it takes a little longer to develop a line like that. The second way that's super easy takes at least two aquariums, and that is the same thing. You start with your breeders. I'm, let's take the Santa Maria uh, Endler line that I developed, for example. I, I took a Santa Maria Endler male and a Tequila Sunrise Guppy, bred them together. The fry look bizarre, nothing like either parent, right? Not what I want because I'm trying to develop a Santa Maria line. So my strategy is as soon as that female has dropped those fry, I remove her so that only the male is left in there with those fry. That ensures that uh, that male is going to be the first to impregnate those females because he's already mature and ready to go before his offspring are. So I grow the fry up with that original male. And then as they start to sex out, I remove the males and put them in tank number two. The males that are called F1, not the original male, but his sons. Take those out. Leave all the females. Let him breed with those females again. Then same thing. As soon as those females drop fry, take them out. Put them in another tank or sell them or give them away. Let that original male mate with his granddaughter. It sounds gross. I get it. But that's how I would do it. And you can do that for a few generations. And what you're going to see after a few generations is that the fry start to look a lot like that original male because they're being bred back into that male. Okay. Um, what you have to be careful of here is too much inbreeding. So even though you're only using one or two tanks, you're going to have to have a source for um, other males in this case that carry the genes you want. Maybe another breeder. Maybe you can purchase some that, from someone that's selling um, because every few generations, you're going to need to bring in another male so that you don't just spawn that one male forever. Then you're going to get, you know, some <laughs> some old European royalty <laughs> and it could get funky. Um, but you can do that if as long as you cross in new males that have the same traits you're trying to establish in the line. So that's the way to do it with maybe one or two tanks, two different methods that are pretty easy. Um, 68 watching. All right. If you haven't done so, if you wouldn't mind liking, sharing, sharing would be great right now. Um, so we can get more people in here. That'd be awesome. If you feel so inclined, uh, if you like this stuff and you haven't subscribed yet, that always helps notification bells, all that schmaz that we're always begging you to do. 
Um, I'd invite you to do that if you feel so inclined. So anyway, that's the kind of short answer of the two easiest ways I think to develop a library line. You simply, in both cases, reduce the population back down to the traits you want and remove the other fish before they can inject their genes or inject them heavily at least into the breeding pool. So hopefully that answers that question. If anyone needs a follow-up on that, leave a comment down below and I'm happy to get into it. That's not how I develop a line, by the way. The, the way I usually develop a line is I start with, start with, with several animals and I start with several aquariums and then uh, I can take those offspring that are growing up and mate them with unrelated or more distantly related male fish as I kind of shuffle them around the different aquariums. And that way I can get the line established quickly without inbreeding or heavily inbreeding. But, um, but that takes a lot of room in the fish room. I think the last time I did that, I, I think I took six, seven tanks to develop the line, maybe more sometimes. No way! Stillwater Aquatics Jr. with a 9.99 super chat. Thanks, Stillwater Aquatics. Always appreciated. Never required, but it does make my wife super happy when the super chats tumble in. I appreciate that. Dan's fish, especially get gills. Okay, Stillwater Aquatics has a proven breeding trio of Neolamprologus lupi. One male, two females, free shipping. Oh, that's good. Let's find them a good home. All right, so that takes me to the next bit, which is uh, questions about how to create groups at getgills.com. So if you type in getgills.com, you'll come here. Real quick, let's look at Stillwater Aquatics store, just so that you all know what's going on there. But that's cool, Stillwater. Uh, free shipping's no joke. Here's Stillwater store. Here is the trio here. Cool. So free shipping on these guys. I like Lulupai, little uh, <laughs> bright yellow cheery fish. Okay, anyway, I want to get to uh, the question about how to, this person was selling guppies and wanted, and then also I think plants or something else and wanted to know how to set up shipping on Get Gills. This will only take a little bit. Don't, don't run away if you don't like Get Gills <laughs> or aren't interested, but wanted to know how to ship them and sell them so that the buyer could ship the guppies one way and then the plants another way. And so here's how you do that. So first off, go to your store. Once you're there, go to product groups right here. Now ignore these. These are my two shipping methods that I have currently uh, listed. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm working on getting a free shipping thing. I'm playing with this if you hit a certain minimum that maybe you get free shipping, but that's not live yet. We're still, uh, Jonathan, my technical partner in this company is still coding to make that possible. It's not quite live yet. But anyway, if you want to create a group, uh, if you're trying to ship guppies, say, if I could type, what is going on? <laughs> this is guppies. Let's say these are all the ways you ship, but you only want to send guppies USPS priority medium, let's say. Okay. So you say, I'm going to ship all my guppies that way. Click create a group there. Now you have your guppy group. Now let's say you're selling plants and you want to ship them. I don't know, USPS in a small box or any other way, but that's just the two examples I'm going to choose. Make that group. Okay. So this is the guppy group. The other one's the plant group. Now how you would 
So you have the groups that you need. One will ship guppies, one will ship plants, and you've decided that for guppies, you'll ship this way and plants this way. Now you could select multiple methods for each group if you wanted, but let's keep it simple for the example. Okay, now go back to your store. Go to your products. Let's find a guppy. Here's a red flamingo guppy. Click edit your product. And then here, if you want this to ship this way, click add. And of all your different groups that you have made, this will only ship this way. Now, if you wanted to ship this in a box or you wanted to ship it with plants, then you could add that one as well. And that would give the buyer both options at checkout. But I know that this particular person wants to send guppies one way and other stuff. I can't remember if it's plants or food or botanicals or what, but a separate way. So this will make it so that the guppies are only shipped according to the shipping methods you chose when you created the guppies group for shipping. Hopefully that makes sense. Um, that's all it takes. Then you go down here and you set your box capacity if you haven't. Um, and, oh, I, I guess this might be a little bit confusing. Even though the guppies only ship, I think we said USPS priority, I think you probably have to put numbers in the other ones for now. We're fixing this. Um, even though when the customer goes to check out, it'll only show the option you assigned to that group. I think I'm right about that. Um, we're trying to fix that, but that's a glitch in the system for now. But anyway, if you have added the guppy group and you have quantities here, then you should be good to go. Now I'm going to change this back <laughs> just so I don't get in trouble. But that's really all it takes. And then you would do the same thing for a plant. Now, I don't have an actual plant, but let's for sale. But let's say that the Uwaru is a plant. OK, if Uwaru were a plant and I wanted to send it in the plant group, according to those shipping methods, then I would click that. Now that's going to ship that way. What's going to happen if you do that is at checkout, if the customer buys a guppy, then the only checkout methods they're going to see, the shipping methods they're going to see at checkout are the ones that you've assigned to your guppies. If you're going to ship a plant and the customer selects just a plant, then they'll see just the shipping op options for plants at checkout. If they purchase a guppy and a plant, then the guppy will show up and with the guppy will be the guppy shipping options that they'll select. The plants will show up and they'll have to select a separate shipping option for the plant. So in that case, they're going to have to ship the guppies and the plants separately, which I think is what you want. Now, let me show you this, though. If you wanted them to ship together, then go to your store, create um, or actually you don't even have to do that. Then you could just click. Uh, well, let me show you. This is easier, probably. <laughs> Let's say you want your guppy to be able to ship with plants or separately. Then you would just add guppies and plants groups. Now it can ship both these groups methods. So it could ship USPS priority medium, I believe it was. And it can ship um, USPS priority small, I believe it was. Okay, now let me get out of this before anyone actually buys stuff on my store because that's live right now <laughs> and get some funkiness going on. And then let me real quickly um, delete those groups. Pretty easy to do. If you don't want that group anymore, you just delete it, which I'm doing because it was just an example for the person who was asking how to do that. Now, 
this is going to get more streamlined pretty quickly. Uh, this is what we're almost done. Um, in fact, I think the code's done. And at this point, Jonathan's just testing. So anytime you um, <laughs> put uh, change things on your code, it can affect everything. And it takes a lot of time once you've built new code and changed things around to test through each possible scenario because there are many, 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 many scenarios and make sure that's not affecting something adversely. So that's what's going on now, I believe, is Jonathan's testing all these things and we'll be releasing uh, the update that makes all this a little more intuitive and, and more user-friendly pretty quickly here as soon as he's done. Um, but we don't wanna rush it because we don't wanna crash the thing and we don't wanna make it worse. Um, invariably, when we, we release it, there'll be a few things we just couldn't didn't find in our testing and uh, we appreciate it when you guys run into a glitch or something that doesn't work that you send me an email, dan at getgills.com or dan at dansfish.com and let me know uh, because we can't find everything. But that's kind of the process we're at with that. So hopefully that answers the first two things that I had. Then the last thing is warm weather shipping. Um, there's this, uh, someone that's selling uh, live fish and shipped recently and put in a heat pack and, and had an issue. In fact, last week I had an issue too. Um, I think I lost of, of many, many fish. I did okay, but there was one box that I sent to Arizona and it was really hot in Arizona. And um, of the entire box, I think I think we lost four fish. Uh, one rosy, no, one luminatus. Oh, what was it? I think one luminatus blue eye and, and three Bararis chili rasboras. The rest all made it fine. but. I think the reason is, is I put a heat pack in and I put a heat pack in because it was really cold here in Sheridan, but it's really hot there in Arizona. So that was kind of an indication to me because there was an issue that, um, okay, it's too hot for heat packs. And so this week for the first time since winter, I shipped without any heat packs this shipment. So for the person that was asking, that's kind of, I, I keep in good contact with my customers and just as soon as I start seeing any problems, that's when I know I need to switch. Um, but also I keep an eye on my temperatures. And right now we just this week really had a change in temperature. It's now 80s during the day. It still gets down to, to the 40s or so at night, but I can send without a heat pack. And it's almost always okay because they're kept in a, you know, they aren't outdoors usually overnight. So, um, that's kind of my best answer is keep in close contact with your customers so you know how they're arriving on their end. As soon as fish start maybe getting stressed or you have any losses or the customer says, hey, it was the, the box was pretty warm. Um, that's the only way I know of to really know besides, hey, it's super hot right now, no heat pack. Um, and so following up with your customers after you send a shipment and saying, Hey, let me know when they arrive and what shape they're in. And it's getting warm. Could you let me know what the temperature was? Um, because I need to know when to start, you know, backing off on heat packs, kind of the same thing later when we do, uh, um, start heat packs in the fall, it's okay. How did they arrive? Are things starting to get cold? I remember this winter, um, I sent, I was using heat packs, but Bob Kaler was kind enough to notify me that he got a shipment in and it was cold, even though I used a heat pack. So I was like, oh man, I better start using two heat packs in the large boxes. But it's not something you can know 
without someone inventing a fancy, if anyone could do this, some kind of doodad, a small little digital <laughs> doodad that you can put in the box. Um, I guess they have little digital thermometers, but they can track the temperature all the way there. And then the, the person at the bottom can tell you what it was, something like that. Um, but what I want is a doodad that can track that and then send it to my phone during the shipment so I can actually see real time what temperatures are, but, but I'm not sure if that exists yet. So short of that, I rely on my customers. So thanks to all my great customers that, that let me know about that stuff. And uh, that would be my advice to the person that asked that question. Okay, I think we're done with the docket, um, which is good because that was about half an hour of just me talking. Boring. Um, and so let's get to you guys. What's going on? What are you breeding? Who's building a fish room? Um, oh, before I get into that though, so I'm a few steps closer to building the warehouse. I got quotes from uh, a couple companies today on what it would cost to build. Um, now that's just the shell of the building though. Now I'm looking at what it'll cost to do kind of the the groundwork and lay the cement slab and insulate the sucker and all that stuff. So step by step, we're getting there. Um, I have a piece of land I, I could build it on, but it's not ideal. So I am looking for a better piece of land right now uh, with the realtor. So we're still in that process. That's that's kind of where it's going. Still not sure that if I'm going to do it or not, uh, I'm, I'm going to have to build the budget out and see what it is when it finalizes. But I'm a few steps closer to to the information I need to make an intelligent decision about that. Um, but man, I keep dreaming about it. Um, yeah, because I would love to have uh, more capacity. All right, let's get to your guys' questions and comments and such. So here we go. Let me get a drink. I'm going to need it. <laughs> For those that might be new, um, the kinds of things I'm very comfortable talking about, and please ask anything that's related to aquarium fish or the hobby or whatever. But the, some of the things that I feel like I'm uh, very comfortable talking about is killifish, for one, uh, building fish rooms. I've built m several <laughs> and I've got better every time. I have a lot of experience. I think I've built six fish rooms or so um, and got pretty good at it the last few. Um, I import aquarium fish with some regularity. Um, I bring in fish frequently, land them and resell them. So I can talk about that. Uh, all those kinds of things. And I love breeding fish. So I can talk about, I haven't bred every species, but I can answer a lot of questions about breeding. And if it's a species I'm familiar with, I'm happy to dig in. If not, I'll just tell you, look, I haven't bred that. So you might want to check with someone who has. But um, I can talk about that stuff or anything else. But those are kind of the things that I feel um, super confident about. Oh, did I show you the t-shirt? Check this out. So the folks at the Grand Valley Aquarium Club were nice enough to send me an awesome t-shirt. Give me a t-shirt. Um, I had a great time with those folks. I miss them already. Okay. I'm finding the chat. Sorry, jumped on me. It does that. This is, I, I really love this platform, but that is one of the things about the YouTube live stream that I hate is this chat jumps all over. Janice Lundberg says, hi. Hey, Eric Maxson, nice shirt. <laughs> that was almost misspelled into something that had to be deleted. Thanks, Eric. <laughs> Koi Dragon Aquatics, hello. Well, hello. 
Glad you're here. Terry's Tropical Tanks. That barb fishing video was off the hook. That tank with the mountain filter and egg fry that went under was freaking awesome. I know. I, I don't know if you could tell from my reaction, but when I saw that, I like my mind exploded a little bit and some drool like started, you know, it, yeah, I saw that and it, it just, the moment I saw it, I was like, boom, that's genius. Like it all clicked for those that don't know what we're talking about. Um, there's a gentleman that's a member of the Grand Valley Aquarium Club named Mike Manji. He's the only person I know of that's really like dedicated to barbs, subprinids in general, I guess, but, but really barbs. Barbs are an amazing family of fish. They're often misunderstood. There's much more variety than, uh, than we realize. And they're not, most of them aren't as mean as we think. They get a bad rap uh, often because of the tiger barbs. Uh, the domesticated strain anyway. But Mike is the, Mike Manji is the only like barb guy I know of. And so when I was speaking at the Grand Valley Aquarium uh, Club, I was lucky enough to get a tour of his fish room and his facility. And uh, he schooled me on barbs. It was great. So I released that video earlier today. So if anyone is interested in barbs, wants to see some fish you've probably never seen before. I saw new stuff there that I'd never even heard of before. And um, early in the video, he shows his barb breeding setup. One of them, he has several methods he uses, but it's kind of this permanent system that allows the eggs to be released and then automatically kind of removed from where the parents can predate on them and they can hatch in there and separate from the parents. It's a great system. So check it out. I agree, Terry's Tropical Tanks. That, that right there was worth the trip. Um, the entire trip just to see that and be like, yeah, it might take a little doing to build it, you know, a little silicone, some glass or plexi or acrylic or whatever. Um, but once that thing's in place and up and running, it's going to last forever and be effortless almost to breed the barbs and get the fry. It, it was amazing. Tampa Tom at Dance Fish, no more professor. Yeah, I'm trying. Every month we get to the end of the month and my wife and I look at Oh, the budget. And you're like, okay, we made it. <laughs> We've got one more month. I mean, that's where we're at. Um, and that's one reason I'm hoping to do the warehouse because I believe that to this point, what I've been able to do is prove that the business model works. Um, you know, this is kind of a, this facility is not massive. It's a big fish room, but it's not a big import or resale facility by any means. But I think we've proven that it works. And with that knowledge, then it's time to, you know, expand a little bit to get big enough that it could be a sustainable living um, and have a little more buffer so that at the end of every month, we aren't kind of like wondering. And, and this is not me begging for super chats, by the way. That, that's not. It's just the reality of, of kind of where we're at and why I want this warehouse to work. In fact, I probably shouldn't do this. It's it's premature and I'll regret it, but I'm going to just because I'm super excited about it. Let me share this with you. So this is my mock-up um, of what a possible warehouse could look at. This is kind of what I'm getting pricing for more or less. Let me make sure I've got the right one up here. Here it is. Okay, let me size it so that when you guys see it, it's the right size. Just give me a moment. It'll be worth it, I hope. So here's the plan. 
Okay. Boom. So here's the plan. This will be storage and um, a place to park a van because we'll need a van to drive to the airport to like get all these fish and stuff. Then these are all 40 gallon aquariums, each of these little things. So this is five 40 gallon aquariums and this rack is three tanks high. So there's 15 on this rack. This is four feet from here to this wall. So there's plenty of walking space. This is four feet between. So there's plenty of walking in, in workspace. One of the things I've always regretted about past fish rooms when I haven't given myself enough space is just how dismal it is to work in those spaces. And this fish room behind me, I finally made right. I have, I think three foot aisles and um, plenty of space to work in and pack in and all that. And it just makes a big difference in, it feels better to be in the space and it, um, you don't get burned out because you aren't just miserable, <laughs> I guess. Uh, so these are kind of four foot aisles. And uh, yeah, so this is 340 gallon breeder aquariums in this part. Then this, um, this is 40 gallon breeder aquariums too, but I'm not sure that's what I'll do there. I won't put anything here. And by the way, there's no wall here. It's just with the little program I was using, I didn't know how to make a shape that looked like an L. So I made two different shapes. Um, this will use as overflow. Every facility I've built, there's been um, a time when I've been like, man, if only I had space to do this one thing, it would be better. Um, and so that's what I'm doing here is I'm giving myself room to expand. So this will start empty, um, maybe with a quarantine rack or two. I'm, I'm definitely gonna do quarantine in this room. At least that's the plan for now as I, as I figure all this out. But then the rest will probably be empty um, until I know what I need. Maybe I want to do a rack of tiny little aquariums, like five gallon aquariums or something, uh, and do a, a big rack of bettas. Or maybe I just need it for storage for shipping materials and food and stuff like that. This is 12 feet from the end of this rack, actually a little more than 12 feet from this to this. So this is plenty of space to have a desk, have a packing station here. Um, and that's that's where we're at on that. So that's what I'm looking at. Um, that's kind of where my dream is at this moment, is at least for starting. Um, and what I'm looking for is a, a piece of land that I can do something like that on. That'll fit on my piece of land right now. But the problem is the piece of land right now is uh, I can't expand. I can build that and that's it. That like, that sucks up every legal square foot of land on that lot. So um, what I'm considering is somewhere else where as things go, um, then I'll have room to build an additional building that's connected or right close to it so that things can expand more smoothly. So that's, that's kind of what I'm trying to judge in the back of my mind is, do I just do this one because it's a little cheaper? I already have the land or do I uh, get a new plot of land where I can expand more easily? I'm trying to figure out those costs to benefit uh, equations and all that stuff. But yeah, that's that's where we're at with that. And I forget what got me onto that. Oh, the No More Professor. Yeah, thanks, Tampa Tom. Wait, did I miss a super chat? I'm sorry. Um, I did. Oh, I got several. Thanks, everybody. Let me find them. I'm scrolling up looking. You can probably hear my mouse. Um, there we go. Hang on. Sorry that I missed your super chats and thanks for them. 
But here we go. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I'm getting there. I promise. Fish tube, five bucks. Thank you. Because you aren't begging. <laughs> See, the reverse psychology works. No, it's not that at all. But thank you for the super chat. I really appreciate it. Candy overhauls, five bucks for the warehouse. Candy, thank you. I really appreciate that. I, I always feel like I should be paying my moderators. So anytime they give me a super chat, it's kind of like double thank you, triple thank you, because they work so hard just to keep the chat going. And I feel like I should pay them, but that's awesome. Keith Bordley, thanks for your time and knowledge or for your time and knowledge. Well, thank you. Thanks for the super chat. Um, really appreciate it. Never required, always appreciated. And as I say, it always makes Brenda, my wife, super happy when money trickles in. Um, HC Aqua at Dance Fish. Ah, get Gil's groups. That's probably what I need to do. Yep, that'll do it for you. Um, HC was one of the people that was wondering how to do this, which is why I uh, decided to cover it. Glad you could make it, Jesse. Glad you made it at this time. All right. Thanks, Mods, for linking cool stuff. Looking for another uh, thing to respond to. Oh, did I miss one? Nope. Here we go. Hydro Guy Aquatics. I'll get you in half a second here. 85 watching. That's awesome. Um, I can always tell when Aquarium Co-op isn't live streaming. Because <laughs> our numbers get, for this little channel, get pretty high. So glad you're all here. Cheers. Thanks for being here. And by the way, I really like um, Corey's live streams. I always watch the replays, so I, I get it. Okay, Hydra Guy Aquatics. I'm considering getting some Lamprichthys tanganicanus. Oh, awesome fish eggs from a friend, but I've never played with any killifish of any type. Ooh. Any advice to hatch the eggs successfully? Thanks. Yes, the best way I've found to do it is with an egg tumbler. So they are not like most killifish eggs. They're not, a lot of killifish eggs, if they're non-annual, are, are quite adhesive. And if you put them in an egg tumbler, they'd probably just become this big mass. But um, the Lamprichthys tanganicanus eggs, the, the most consistent success I've had is an egg tumbler, like you would use for cichlid eggs or something like that. Um, the eggs are pretty large. They do really well that way. And the eggs are hardy. And I've always had almost 100% hatch rate on them. They seem to be great. Um, the fry are pretty hardy. If you can, if you have hard alkaline water naturally where you live, that's amazing. Um, I've hatched and raised them here with my super soft water and had success, but it was harder work. When I lived in Los Angeles, they were a lot easier, but that's an amazing fish. Totally worth it. And the fry are pretty big when they hatch. You're going to be surprised. I don't know if you'll be surprised. Um, as a killifish guy, I was surprised in an egg layer kind of guy uh, for breeding. I was surprised at how big the, the, the fry were. They can take baby brine shrimp right away without any problem at all. Um, they like a little bit of flow in their water. Not a ton, but... Uh, more than you would use for, say, like tetra babies or something like that, or most killifish babies for that matter. So egg tumbler will hatch them and then I would raise them. Often killifish breeders will raise baby killifish just in stagnant little tubs without aeration or anything. I wouldn't do that with this fish. I put in an air stone with at least some light circulation. Again, don't overpower them, but they, uh, they like a 
tiny bit of current, just a tiny bit. I almost hesitate saying that because it has to be too much will overpower them, but a tiny bit they really like, you'll see that they'll seek it out and get in the current and kind of just stay right there. I hope you can hatch them and raise them. Um, beautiful fish, pretty hardy in my experience, and they sell really well. So, and they, they're easy to breed. So I think, uh, I think it's worth the risk. Go for it. HC Aqua. So if I'm going to use groups, I should only do groups and not individual options, right? Yes. Yes. Correct. Let me clarify this real quick. So if you, if you click, if you go to your store and go to your products and click any product, if you click this right here, this item cannot be shipped with other items, then that automatically overrides any other groups or anything like that. And that's, item will only be shipped individually. Um, so avoid that box if you're doing groups, unless you want, you know, that to happen. But yes, that is correct, Jesse. All right, let me get back to the correct page here. Okay. Yes, use groups and not individual options. Correct. And again, I apologize to anyone that's a little confused by this. Um, we're in between right now. We started to get gills. It was super simple, but people wanted more uh, flexibility, more options. So we made a bunch of options that became super complicated. And now we're getting it to the point where it's all one intuitive thing that you can get on and follow and it'll be simple, but still have all the flexibility that people need. It's just taking some redoing and it's a lot of time. We're, we're working on it. I promise it's being ground out. <laughs> it just takes a while. <laughs> um, Reels Tanks, got your order in at Dan's Fish. Just kidding. Well, cool. I think. <laughs> uh, Reels Tanks did get his store set up. Um, so for those that know real, he's got some stuff for sale and this is a brand spanking new store that we're excited about here at get gills. And here it is. I love his, I love the logo. Check that out. I think that's cool. And then fry NATO, uh, real's been breeding the heck out of platinum angelfish. So you can get some here. There's several options. So anyway, just something that I think is cool. Real good to see you. All right. Tech Turtle, I'm sure I could come up with something. Let me think about that. All right, think about that. Wichita Falls Fishkeeper, hey, it's great to see you again. Hey, Dan, do you use cold packs in August or do you stop shipping to areas that have temps around 100 degrees? So I don't stop shipping. I've, I've shipped, uh, I'll keep shipping. And if they're going somewhere really hot, then I will use a cold pack. And sometimes it's an actual ice pack and sometimes it's a cold pack, which isn't necessarily water. It's more like a chemical gel. Um, and those tend to be a little better. The gel kind, they tend to not get, I don't know, they seem to be a little more stable temperature wise. Um, yeah, so I definitely do use cold packs if they're going somewhere hot uh, later in the summer. And I rely on my customers for that. And if, if a customer contacts me and is like, hey, it's super hot here then I'll know that and I'll put in a cold pack. Well, if I'm shipping to Arizona or Texas or something, then I know. But, uh, but I, it, I, again, key is develop a relationship with your customers. Um, 
contact them to see how stuff goes, let them know when stuff's going to ship and just be frank with them. Be like, Hey, um, let me know if there's temperature extremes because, uh, you know, your weather better than I do, but yeah, Wichita, uh, cold packs really help. And I used to get them. I, I wish they didn't. I miss Dr. Foster's and Smith. Um, I used to buy frozen food from them and they would ship the uh, frozen food with a whole bunch of cold packs. So I get a ton of free cold packs every time I bought frozen food. And that would be enough to last me the entire season. Um, Cause there's literally, I don't know, there's tons of them that they would use in each box cause they don't use dry ice. So it takes a lot of cold packs, but now that they're out of business. I'm going to actually have to go out and uh, yeah, actually buy cold packs for the first time. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, Almost always it goes just fine. Uh, shipping in hot water, hot water, hot weather's no different than shipping in cold weather. It's just the reverse. So insulation, 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 uh, tight fitting so that the weather, so the, the temperature stays pretty constant. You want to basically make a beer cooler out of your box and a cold pack will do it. Now I don't use cold packs though, unless it is really hot because I don't want the fish to get too cold. It's that balancing act. I don't know. someone who has the expertise and technical knowledge, if you could invent a tiny little digital device connected to a tiny little heating element that we can put in our shipping boxes, actually set the temperature and have the box stay at a consistent temperature, at least for the cold weather, that would be fantastic. Um, That'd be so awesome. Maybe the element never gets over, I don't know, 100 degrees or something, and you can set 75, and once the box reaches 75, it stops, something like that. I mean, what we do works almost always, but it really is a crapshoot anytime you're shipping fish, and especially when you have to use heat packs or cold packs, because (laughs) it is what it is once it's sealed up and sent out. There's no changing it, no monitoring it or anything. It's always a little scary. Mag 44, Mag Guy 1. Do you still have all four of the Bennett NSA? And I understand that they are blackwater species. Is this right? So yes, I have them. I actually think I might have a couple more than four. Um, I've been watching them like a hawk. I believe they're all females. There could be one in there that's male and hasn't colored up yet, but they're big enough, the ones I have left, that I think they're all females. Yes, they're blackwater species, but I'm not keeping them in blackwater. And I've kept lots of blackwater species and lots of wild type bettas that are supposedly super, you know, soft 3.5, 4.0 pH type of water in super hard alkaline water uh, before I lived here where I have soft water. So, yes, they're blackwater species. Um, the only reason I bring that up is I don't want people to think that because they get that kind of fish, that they have to start trying to mess around with softening water, especially if they um, aren't really knowledgeable about it, because that can lead to more problems than it fixes. Um, The key, okay, small rant, it's a tangent off that, but related. The key in my experience to keeping black water species in hard water or non-acidic water is just to keep the water super clean. it it helps greatly when they're first imported. If you were the person that you got them from, I mean, I do this, um, medicated them because they come from that super acidic water and they aren't used to bacteria. 
it's very sterile. Very few disease-causing organisms live in acid, <laughs> okay? And so if you take that fish and you put it right in hard alkaline water or non water that isn't super acidic, then they suddenly are introduced to an environment that is rife with pathogens, all kinds of bacteria and parasites and stuff that they've never encountered in the wild. And so that's like, they might have the, not have the immune system for that. So I do find that I have to treat them prophylactically with antibiotics um, and anti-parasite medicines. It, it, at first, they're very prone to velvet and some external parasite that looks like ick, but is a lot smaller. I don't know if it's ick, it's something white like that. It's not velvet. Um, so it, once though they're settled and they've been through that, then I find them to be tough as nails, even in hard alkaline water, if the water is kept clean. Ammonia and nitrite will knock them out super fast. They do not encounter ammonia in its toxic form in the wild. In acidic conditions, ammonia is transferred to ammonium, which is a lot less toxic. So they don't have any defense against that um, at all. In fact, I mean, almost no fish have real defense against it, but they're very susceptible to that. So that's the issue with those species that I've found in hard alkaline waters. Just you have to keep it clean. Um, there can't be any ammonia or nitrite that's readable on a standard test kit. Um, or they will have problems. Yeah. And in breeding in hard alkaline water can be an issue for some species, but I've bred lots of wild type bettas that are from soft acidic water in super hard alkaline water, no problems, high fertility and no issues whatsoever. I think that especially mouth brooding bettas, I think just that action of continually aerating the eggs somehow keeps them clean and developing because I haven't had issues with it. Now, I'm sure there are some species where that might be an issue, but I have yet to run into that. Mr. Science Geek at Dance Fish, I'm setting up my summer tubs. Cool. Working out ways to protect the fish from predators better. Ooh, yeah. I mean, there's always that, uh, you know, plastic diffusion egg crate stuff. <laughs> there's always that that you can put across the top. Um, you know, I was at a trout hatchery just recently and every three feet or so on this massive pond with these massive lake trout, I'm going to, I'm going to release this video eventually because it's, they're huge. Um, there's just a, a steel cable that goes across just a thin, thin steel cable. And that was enough to keep the birds away. Raccoons. Ooh, that's tough. And, uh, your preteen, like your 11, 12 year old neighborhood kid, Ain't nothing you can do. <laughs> um, yeah, short of just like a top that's clamped on for raccoons and stuff. I can't think of anything else that would work, but I don't do a ton of summer tubbing. Summer tubbing is just too cold here. So, um, I mean, even in, even in summer, we can get down to the forties. So I, uh, I just don't do it besides like scuds and stuff. Killers Aquatics, can you share the cost of the outer shell bid. Yeah. So there's a few, um, for that one, it's coming in. So square footage wise, that's just over 3000 square feet in the bid, which I spilled water all over earlier. There's a couple different bids. One came in at $28 per square foot. Another one came in at about 
1750 per square foot. These are very rough bids, by the way. Um, this was just a real quick thing. That's why there's such discrepancy in them. Once uh, they really kind of hone it down, I'll get an exact quote later. But this was just enough to get me kind of starting to budget. Um, but um, yeah, so anywhere from, I don't know, around 50000 up to $75,000 for the shell. Now, there was a company that if I lived in Billings, I would love to use that I was all excited about. Look at that. 26,000, 25,900 for a 40 by 60 foot building. I was like, man, I'll just get a couple of those. But, um, and that's installed, just a shell. But I called that company and they, they're in like Idaho and they come down to Billings, but they won't come down to Sheridan. They're not licensed to operate in Wyoming. So unfortunately I couldn't get that. But if you live in those areas, I mean, I'm not promoting the company. I don't know them or anything. I just saw an ad and called them, but 26 grand for a 40 by 60 building. That's, that's so good. Um, in fact, Bob, I plan as I go through this, something might change my mind, but right now my plan is to be totally open and share all the costs. Um, it's going to be a lot. I think once cement work's done and everything so far, I'm at about 250,000 for the entire project. Once I build it, um, put all the aquariums and systems in and stock it with fish and everything like that. So it's not cheap and I'm still crunching numbers. It, that goes up and down as I hone in my estimates and get actual figures, but that's where we're at right now. Real stinks. All right. They have packs that keep your package around 75 degrees. <laughs> some reason I thought of jock straps. They can heat or cool, but are pricey. So kind of, I know what you're talking about. The, the issue with those is, and they're helpful, but the issue, and I forget the name of them. The problem is they only work within, within about a 20 degree range. So that's okay. Like that can be helpful. But um, in the dead of winter, when it's 35 below here in Wyoming, and that's not an exaggeration at all, that happens with uh, not all the time, but every year we've got a few weeks of that generally. Um, you know, that's not even close to enough to keep the temperature where it needs to be. But in the summer, that might be a great option because if you're 100 degrees, that's going to take it down to about 80, um, which is a little warm for shipping. I prefer shipping like low 70s is like perfect for me for shipping most fish. Um, because their metabolism slows down and the bacteria doesn't multiply as fast as it does at 80 degrees and water holds oxygen better at a lower temperature, all that stuff. But, but anyway, um, yeah, I think that those might be a good thing to use in the, in this super hot heat of summer. I haven't tried them yet, but, uh, my friend, Phil Farrell, who, if you're on Facebook at all in any fish groups, you've probably <laughs> seen his comments. He's very active, um, recommends them highly. And, uh, I think he knows what he's talking about. He used to work for one of the largest uh, tropical fish distributors in the nation, um, like the people that the wholesalers buy from. So a step, a step up the chain from wholesale. He managed uh, one of their, 
I think the Amazon South American division, if I remember right. So, you know, I, I listen to Phil and, and uh, take what he says and really consider it when he talks. I don't agree with everything Phil says, but I don't agree with any, every, everything anyone says, even myself. TM Aquatics, receiving 14 wildcaught hemigramus. Okay, so what is this fish? I remember, I think I remember this. Okay, let's look. I always feel like an idiot when someone uh, is getting rare fish that I don't know anything about. Oh, yeah. Whoo, look at that. So this is what you're getting. Coraleus? Um, okay, I think we're all fully jealous right now, TM. Receiving 14 wildcat, Hemigramus Coraleus on Friday. Pretty excited for this very rare fish. The males are spectacular. Yeah, it looked like it when conditioned for breeding. Oh, TM, I am fully jelly right now. I am so jealous. That looks fantastic. Please breed those. Please breed those. I will probably be your first customer if you want me to be. I Yeah, that is amazing. I can only imagine what they cost you. Um, yeah. Man, that's a cool fish. I am. You demand, TM. You demand. <laughs> Mr. Science Geek, I applied for my importer license back in January. Okay, haven't heard anything yet. Should I try again or are they just that slow? It's up to 90 days, uh, so we're in June. You might. It might not hurt to contact them. Here's the problem with some of these things is, um, yeah, it generally can take up to 90 days. If you're beyond that, which... Yeah, you totally are, I guess. Um, yeah, contact them. The issue is a lot of these things, if you do it right, you'll eventually probably get your license or hear back. But if you did it wrong, you might not hear anything. And you call and they're like, oh yeah, this was done wrong. It's like, and I'm not ragging on this specific person that works at that desk or something, but just in general, when you're dealing with this kind of stuff, it's kind of like, you couldn't have told me. Like, obviously I sent this in thinking... Anyway, so I would totally, Mr. Science Geek, I would totally bug them. Um, mine went really easy. Mine was cleared within two weeks, I think. And then when I applied for a permit for a uh, non-standard location, because Denver, where I was importing, um, isn't one of the standards uh, ports of entry. Um, so I had to get an additional permit to use that. Um, that was done within about a week. So in my experience, it was quick, but I did it uh, maybe in their not so busy season. I'm not sure. But yeah, you got to bug those people. Not bug them. You got to develop a relationship, I guess, if you can. Tech Turtle at Dan Slee. Lol, I meant Dan's fish. Hey, okay. So Tech Turtle must have done a comment up here. There. Tech Turtle at Dan Slee, meaning at Dan's fish. Do all quarries breed the same way? Kind of. Not really. Most do. Um... And are they all as easy as my bronze quarries? Oh, no. Some quarries are very difficult. In fact, there's quarries out there that people have been trying to breed for years and still haven't been able to do it. Bronze quarries, that's Corydoras Aeneas. Aeneas and Paleotis, the salt and pepper quarry, are probably the easiest to breed. Um, they can take a pretty wide temperature range because they come from a more temperate area than some of your other quarries. They have a wide distribution, so they can take lots of kinds of... Uh, 
I don't know, parameters, more kinds of parameters. And uh, they've been in the hobby and in the industry forever. So they're, they're used to uh, life in captivity, kind of their a little forced evolution to become almost a domesticated animal at this point, which you can see in some of the long fin varieties and stuff like that. So those are very easy. Um, not every quarry spawns like that. Some quarries, instead of, excuse me, instead of putting their eggs, sticking them on the glass or the slate or uh, on the sponge filter sometimes or the mop or whatever, will actually bury their eggs under the sand um, or some other strategies like that. Most of them breed the typical way that you're thinking of. Especially if they're common in the hobby, if they're available regularly at your local fish store um, or they're farm raised with any regularity, then yeah, they're gonna breed pretty much like the Aeneas in Paleotis, at least maybe not as easy all the time, but fairly easily and using the same methods. There's a great video. I don't know if I can find it right now. Um, I don't know if one of my mods knows about it and could possibly link it, but Eric Bodrock, uh, there's a tour of Eric Bodrock's store. I believe, I can't remember who did it. I think it was Aquarium Co-op. I think, yeah, I'm pretty sure it was Aquarium Co-op who went and did a, a tour of his fish room. And then another video about like his like, aquarium paraphernalia and stuff. Um, anyway, in the fish room tours with Eric Bodrock, he talks about some of his methods of breeding some of the quarries that place their eggs a little differently than your standard quarry. So they're not all exactly the same, but most of the ones that you can normally find are gonna be pretty similar to that, yeah. Kev's Aquatics looking, or linking up the t-shirts if you wanna buy the one. <laughs> wanna buy one, I can't talk. Man, I gotta check Teespring out, I have not looked for months to see how the t-shirts are selling. I might actually have some cash in there to cash out. I better look at that. Chewy LTD, hey Chewy, good to see you. The old do-it-yourself breeding setup to not use marbles was a great thing that Mike got from that gentleman that made that breeding setup. It makes total set sense. Yeah, so that bar breeding setup that's in uh, the uh, fish room tour that I released earlier today, yeah. it. I mean, to me, I saw it and I was like, duh, why hasn't anyone done this? is so obvious. Tech Turtle, do all quarries, oh, sorry, that was a repeat of the question. Um, just passed uh, Keith Bordley's super chat for those that are <laughs> wondering where I'm at. Totally missed Stillwater Aquatic Jr.'s second super chat of the night. Sorry about that. Thanks for the super chat. 499 says, do it with three exclamation points. So, I guess I have to now. I am working on it. If I can swing it, I will. Um, we're up to, again, about a quarter million. Um, I have to see how much prices climb from there and, and about financing. But I'm gonna, I'm, I'm trying my best. I'm seriously, I wouldn't put this much time and effort into uh, researching this warehouse and how to make it happen and what costs are and things if I wasn't serious about uh, making it work if I can. Um, all right. I miss some good stuff, I can tell. <laughs> oh, the cove, this is interesting, to Tech Turtle. Um, with pandas, I usually get 90 to 100% hatch rate, the same survival rate, greens are not so good. Cool, all right. Just happened to see that and thought it was interesting. 
again, if I'm not getting to your question or comment, it's because it's not highlighting for me. So type the at symbol in Dan's fish, like Mr. Science Geek does here, it'll highlight for me and I'll jump right to it. I promise I'm not ignoring anyone, anyone on purpose. Mr. Science Geek at Dan's fish highlighted, beautiful. I applied, oh wait, I already saw that, sorry. Chat jumps around on me sometimes. Snap Wrench at Dance Fish. Hey, Snap Wrench. Um, I don't know if it's your first time here, but I think it's my first time reading a comment from you, unless unless you do it all the time and I've forgotten, in which case I apologize. But uh, good to get a comment from you. Thanks. Thanks for the info on line breeding. Very helpful. You're welcome. Um, there's all kinds of ways to do it, but I think uh, easy is, is good for someone just starting. By the way, I don't know if you can see this, but uh, you see that right there? I'm trying watermelon with my plecos. It's a little watermelon rind, kind of the white part with a little red on it. We'll see if they eat it. They're they're starting to grow a ton, mile high plecos. Um, these starlights that you gave me, and uh, just a ton. So I'm going to leave that in there tonight and take it out in the morning and see how much they've scraped off of it. I've started to have to feed them really heavily, and one of them was caved up the other day. Although they're pretty small, so I'm not I'm not expecting anything. By caved up, I don't mean with eggs, just in the cave. Got me a little excited. Ed Young at Dance Fish. I'm toying with moving from my 60 plus fish room in the gar in the garage to building a larger building out back of my house. Can't wait to see your decision on the building. Cool. Well, if you can find like a prefab metal building that they'll install for 26,000? Jeez, that was, I mean, you still have to do the concrete pad and, and I mean, the price of getting the tanks, setting up the systems, making it well insulated and all that, the building is going to be a fraction of that cost. <laughs> the building itself isn't going to be super expensive. Um, just so you know, Ed Young, this basement that I did, um, it's got just about, oh, is it just three or 4,000 gallons? I can't remember. Um, it's on one of my fish room tours where I say it on the thumbnail, but, um, I think, I think just about 4,000 gallons, like 3882 or something like that. Um, it's 850 square feet and it was just like concrete. So I, I put in epoxy floor, insulated, ventilated, um, heated, all that. It ended up costing about 45 bucks per square foot, roughly if that gives you any idea, if that's helpful at all. Uh, it's mostly 75 gallon aquariums, but there's several other kinds of tanks in here too. Um, all right. Oh, Bob, look at those super chats. Thank you. I hang on. I'm seeing, uh, Bob sent me 50 bucks. That's awesome. Thank you. I'm getting to it. And, uh, someone sent me 10. Hang on. Bob Kaler, 50 bucks. For the warehouse fund, no more professor. Thanks, Bob. Um, I'm running out of ways to thank Bob. <laughs> Here's what we'll do. Bob likes money and candy to be mailed to him. If you look at Bob's uh, videos at Kaler's Aquatics, then you'll see uh, on some of the unboxings, uh, his address on some of the boxes he unboxes. And so you can send him money and candy. That's how we'll thank Bob. So if you want to send Bob money and candy, <laughs> there you go. Hopefully that's a new way to thank you. Oh, unless I just like turned a bunch of serial killers loose on your house. But I don't know. 
It's in your videos. <laughs> um, Ginger Graves, 10 bucks. Hey, taking MTS to a whole new level for the warehouse fund. Thanks, Ginger. Um, it was great to do business with you recently. Uh, it was great to chat with you and get to, you know, know you online a little bit. Glad to have you around. Okay. Thanks for the super chats, y'all. Where am I at? Here we go. Jumped on me. I'm getting there. Ooh, yeah. Totally jumped on me. Oh my gosh. Like majorly. Hangar. Hey, I haven't seen you in a while. There we go. There we go. Okay. Hangar 77. Hi. Hello, it's great to see you again. Welcome back. 77 watching, 76. Oh, we lost one. That always happens. I'm like, 77, oh, 69. <laughs> if you're new and you haven't done it yet and you feel so inclined, uh, feel free to share this out there. That would be awesome. If you already did, you know, don't, let's not spam people, but. Okay, Michael Wilson. Hey, Michael. Lots of blog entries on guppy selective breeding methods. Oh yes, yeah, so many ways to do it. Crosses, etc. Google search for Frank guppies, probably 40 entries. Is this Frank Chen? Um, I have to see this. I know Frank Chen. He's a, he's a friend of mine. Frank guppies. Yeah. So this guy, Frank Chen, I know him. Um, he's a, a friend of mine from when I lived in Los Angeles and Okay, so this website's kind of dated, right? But uh, good information on here, and uh, this guy knows what he's talking about. So I don't know if this is what you were talking about, Michael, but totally jogged my memory. I haven't talked to Frank in a while. I wonder how he's doing. Um, Reels Tanks, Google Phase 22. I My brain can't process what that means, but I'm sure that in real time, when it was posted, it was brilliant and hilarious. <laughs> the fish tank barn. Hey, great to see you. Had my Limia Perugia drop fry finally. All right, great. Definitely adding more cover. Okay. Watch all of them chase one fry all across the tank. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's half to uh, two thirds of the tank just kind of choked with water sprite up top and java moss down below. That's what works for me with that species. And the Limia, the Limia nigra fasciata as well. And honestly, like in the 75 gallon aquariums they're in, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of fry. I wouldn't be surprised if there's 500 fish in there with that kind of plant mass. Um, and you know, I don't do anything real special. Often I just feed crushed up flake food and pellets and rapashi. Um, if you feed baby brine shrimp, you'll get even more and they'll grow even faster. But I'm glad that they did that. You finally got some babies and that they're, uh, matured enough that you can start really breeding them. That's awesome. I feel sorry for that fry. <laughs> Tristan Schuster. Hey, great to hear from you. Let the battle begin. May the best swordtail breeder win. <laughs> Thanks. Congrats on the fry, my dude. Have you ever seen balloon sword tail on the list to buy? And is there a short bodied sword tail? Well, thanks. Um, Tristan won between me and Tri I mean, I, I can't remember who was the very first person to breed the uh, red eye red hyphen sword tails, but Tristan beat me. I finally had my first batch of successful fry. I think it was last week. I'm real excited. I counted. I think there's like 75 of them uh, roughly. I mean, they move a little bit, but I'm pretty sure there's a lot in there. 
And I've got one more female I'm waiting for her to drop. So she's in a five and a half gallon by herself with tons of plants. Hopefully she drops soon. Actually, two more females. Sorry, I have two more. Um, so I'm hoping to get a nice big batch and then uh, maybe we can all kind of take babies and a little later when they're a little more mature, swap them so we can you know, keep the genetics from getting too inbred on that. But I'm excited about that. I don't know what it is about that fish that has been such a challenge for me, but I'm super excited that they bred. Um, you know, you think a swordtail, ah, that's easy. No, no worries. But these red-eye red hyphens, they're tough. They're tough. So yeah, thanks. I appreciate that, Tristan. And yes, I've seen the balloon swordtails and the hyphen balloon swordtails. I can get them. Um, if there's enough demand, I will. The reason I haven't got them is I tend to usually get fish in that, that I'm like excited about and want to keep myself. And, and that's not one that necessarily calls to me. I'm not saying anything about anyone else's taste. Like I'll get them if there's enough people that want them. Um, they are price-wise, I think they cost me about like six bucks more or something. They're a little more expensive. The hyphen balloons are a little more expensive. The, just the balloon swordtails are the same price. But if you get hyphen balloons, they're a little pricier. Not a ton, but, but a little bit. So I can get them. If enough people bug me, I will get them. Uh, the balloon swordtail. And is there a short body swordtail? That I don't know. That I don't know. I, I don't know what it is about my taste. And again, this is not a judgment about anyone's taste, but Color variation, I'm like, great. Fin variation, as long as the fish can swim around well and everything, I'm like, great. Once we get into like compacted bodies and weird head shapes and stuff, I don't know. I'm not saying that that's bad or wrong. As long as the fish is happy, I, I, that's really where I draw the line. Like if the fish is having a good life, fine. But it just aesthetically isn't something that really appeals to me. That being said, one of the cutest tanks I ever saw was a tank full of balloon mollies. I don't know why, but they, they were at a place I used to work. Um, I cared for that tank for months. They didn't really sell. <laughs> so I got to know those fish really well. And they were happy and cheerful and a lot less aggressive than your other mollies. So there is something to be said for them. Again, it's just an aesthetic thing. It's not a judgment. Long way of saying, I'll get them in if enough people ask me for them. I can get them. They're, they're available every week. At least they're listed as available every week. <laughs> Whether they actually show up or not, I don't know. Um, 44 Mad Guy 1. Okay, thanks. Want to order all four. Got a new 55 gallon. Got a cool aquascape in mind. Awesome. Awesome. Go for it. Um, and I'll check after this live stream and make sure there's there might be like six available. I can't remember. I often like keep a couple back just, just in case, um, just cause I don't want to be that guy that lists something for sale and then doesn't have it available really. So I, I underlist until the very end and then I list the final few. That's kind of how I manage my inventory so that people don't feel like I'm doing a bait and switch on them constantly. Oh man, we're down to 74. I must be slacking. Chewy LTD, you think that the band issue on White Clouds is an issue now they have not allowed antibiotics in pet shops in Canada. For that, you have to go to the vet to get antibiotics. Oh, man. I know. I know. Um, 
I understand the issues, both of them. As a fish keeper, though, I rely on medicines because I literally do not have a veterinarian I could take my fish to. There isn't one within driving distance that I know of. Um, I literally could not care for my fish properly if, uh, if I couldn't get my own medicines. So I hope that never happens in my lifetime. If it happens, wait till I'm dead. <laughs> There's so many fish that if I don't prophylactically treat them, they're gonna just melt. They're gonna absolutely melt. Sometimes literally, sometimes their skin will actually like slough off, looks like it's melting off because I haven't been able to treat them. So I, I need those medicines. It's gonna curtail immensely the type of fish I will bring in if we ever lose the ability to treat our own fish because there are certain species that if I don't treat them, they're just, they're, it's not gonna happen. They're not gonna be okay. Fish soup. Have you been advised to set up by, okay. Have you been advised to set it up by a lawyer as a corporation or LLC? So I do have a lawyer I check in um, and our, our decision was LLC because we were pretty much just worried about liability. We weren't so worried about um, um, shareholding or, or anything like that. Um, I I do, there are, one way to afford to do things is to give people a share of the company and things like that. But um, that's, uh, those are almost handshake deals. Um, I mean, there's forms and things, but yeah, it's, it's pretty simple at this point. It's not going to, I don't plan on becoming this massive company that goes public or anything like that. So I haven't set up an S corp or, or for public, I guess a C corp. I haven't done any of that. Like a like a, uh, a technology startup or something like that might. Um, all I'm worried about right now is liability. So LLC is what I've got. And I don't want the double taxes that you can get um, setting up uh, an S corp or a C corp where the corporation's taxed. And then when you're paid from the corporation, then you're personally taxed as well. So paying twice the taxes at this stage anyway, when things are small and margins are super tight, didn't make sense. Yeah, I'm lucky. I've got a lawyer in my family. One of my brothers is a lawyer. One of my other brothers is a uh, software engineer. Like, I'm the only one that went weird. They all have like real life skills. I'm like, I can tell you about fish or theater. That's like what I know. <laughs> For making a living, you have to be creative when all you know is fish and theater. Ginger Graves, do you think the highway catfish that I got from you will be okay in a 74 Fahrenheit fish room, my living room, I've got them in a tank with lots of flow. Yeah. So if the room is 74 degrees and you have lots of flow, um, I've never had those jump. Those are the only fish in my room. Their tank was the only tank in my fish room that I did not keep a lid on and they never jumped or anything. Um, of course I tell you that and yours will, but, um, if you leave the tank uncovered or partially uncovered, then that tank, if your room is 74 degrees, it's probably going to sit around 71 to 72 degrees, which would be great for them. Um, I think the highest temperature I ever kept them at for any length of time was right around there, 73 degrees or so. So I think they'd be okay. Lots of flow is good. I hope they're, I hope you're enjoying them. Um, they've, 
I don't know. They, you've only had them a little while, so they're probably still hiding all the time. But when they learn to come out at feeding time and stuff, they're just a unique fish. I wish I could find them again. I've never seen them available again, by the way. So I'm really happy that I got them when I could. I finally made it to Kaler's Aquatic Super Chat for those wondering how far behind I am. <laughs> We're down to 66. Man, I must, I gotta pick it up. I can't. This is me. I don't know. This is, this is what we got. Perry Marsh. Tips on raising Cory eggs. My stir by just laid everywhere. So Perry, I would refer you to a video. Uh, perhaps one of the mods could link it that I made on breeding and raising Cory's. So uh, check out that video. But really briefly, as I remove the eggs, um, roll them off with your finger uh, if you can, or you can use a, a razor blade and scrape them off the glass. On the silicone, you kind of have to get your finger in there. On the mop, you pull them off the mop, wherever they laid the eggs. Um, I put them generally in a container of water with some hydrogen peroxide. I change that water two to four times a day. And each time I put fresh water in there, I add hydrogen peroxide. Um, when I change the water, I change all the water I can without pouring the eggs out. So it's like almost 100% water change. And uh, the hydrogen peroxide is dosed to start at, I believe it's two milliliters per gallon. Um, you can go up from there, you can go down from there, but that's a place to start. You can play with it and see what you're comfortable with. You could also use methylene blue if you have that around. Um, I prefer hydrogen peroxide just because I don't like getting stains all over. And that's the way I do it. Once they hatch and become wrigglers, I cut the hydrogen peroxide in the methylene blue. I continue the water changes. As soon as they're free swimming and uh, ready to eat, then they eat almost anything. Microworms are great because they sink. Uh, baby brine shrimp are good, they'll sink too. They'll eat uh, golden pearls or other kind of fine food that sinks to the bottom. They'll eat rapashi. If you put that in there, they'll they'll eventually learn to eat that. The key is keeping food in front of them almost all the time, but changing enough water so that uh, their environment doesn't get polluted. And that's always the struggle with fry and especially catfish, they're voracious. How do you keep a ton of food in front of them without polluting your water? So once they're free swimming and ready to eat, I would move them to an aquarium with a very well-established environment, something that's nice and mature. I use a Hamburg Matten filter, but a sponge filter, whatever will work. Um, and lots of floating plants and maybe some a little bit of java moss in there for them to hang out in if they want to get away. So those are kind of my basic thoughts on it. But that video will take you through. Uh, I've got a few videos on breeding them and raising fry up and stuff like that. So I'd encourage you to check those out, Perry Marsh. Ginger Graves, thanks again for that super chat that I just got to. That's where I'm at. And we're down to MJ Aquatics. Hey, welcome. Mag, uh, 44 Mag Guy 1, are you a boring professor or a fun professor? Depends on which student you ask. I'm a theater professor, so it can't be that boring, right? I don't know. Um, no matter what you do, there's some personalities you really jive with and other personalities that you just have friction with. So you'll have to, it depends on which student you asked. Some students loved me, some students hated me, and some students were like, yeah, yeah, ran the gamut. Ginger Graves, all the fish are doing well. Awesome, Ginger, I'm glad to hear that. I'm glad they made it in good order. Okay, Sakana Katana, hey, 
Have you trained Sudamugils to eat rapashi? No. Um, well, a little bit. They will eat it a little bit. The, the way I get them to eat rapashi is I kind of, I take the rapashi, I squish it up in my fingers so it's not a solid block. It's kind of got a lot of little, a lot of surface area. <laughs> it's been squished up, smushed around. And then I put that in the water sprite so it stays up close to the top of the water column kind of on the edge of the water sprite where it'll stay, but they can find it. So I have got them to kind of eat it that way. The problem with pseudomugils though, is once the food drops down below about the top third of the aquarium, they're less likely to uh, want to hit it and eat it. Um, and so rapashi sinks, that's, that's the issue there. That being said, when I put rapashi in there, like chunks of it to feed the uh, rosy loaches that are in that tank, I will see the luminatus go down and pick at it. So if I kept doing that, um, they will eventually get to the point where they'll go down in, in hordes and eat, the, eat that food. But what I try to do is feed them at the top and then put that in for the rosy loaches so that they can each feed in their kind of separate space and, <laughs> and play well together. Um, now, something important is I'm keeping them in 75-gallon aquariums, so that's a, that tank is a, around two feet tall. When I kept pseudomugils in much smaller tanks, like a 30-gallon breeder, that tank's only 11 inches tall, and they would, would eat off the bottom just fine. So I had no problem in, that, in a short tank like that feeding rapashi or sinking pellets or wafers or anything like that, and that made it easy to keep food in front of them. Chewy LTD, those sword tails that Mike had were amazing. The wild sword tails, my goodness. Yeah, the ones that uh, um, uh, Rusty Wetzel collected. Yeah, they're pretty cool. In fact, I might hit, oh, I can't. See, this is, the hobbyist in me is like, I'm going to hit Mike up and see and have him send those to me. But then the business guy in me is like, what tank on are you going to sacrifice to do that? I, I can't do it right now. Yeah. Hey, haven't seen you in a while, Mr. Fax Fax Machine. <laughs> Dan, not a fan of flower horns then. No, I, I'm cool with flower horns because that's like more or less their natural shape. Like a lot of those Central American cichlids get that big nuchal hump. Um, if I had a big tank that I could dedicate to single fish, I'd get a flower horn as a pet. Yeah. But I'm talking about like uh, sometimes like angelfish, you'll see they have like a scoop out of the top of the head and or like or like this guy. He's got a, a pug face, basically like that, a squished head. Um, things like that I wouldn't seek out or go to propagate. But again, this guy's totally happy. Like, he, he's fine as far as his personality, how he behaves and all that. So I don't have anything against people that would want to develop a strain like that and keep them. Uh, it's just not something that appeals to me aesthetically. But flower horns are such an artificial fish to begin with that <laughs> what is natural for them and the species they're derived from have big old nuchal humps. So I wasn't talking about that. I was talking about super unnatural deformities. Yeah. And again, it's not a moral judgment. It's just my personal aesthetic. I want to make that clear. Tristan Schuster, 68 watching. Hey, we bumped up a bit. At Dance Fish, well, let me know if you decide to get some of the balloon sword tails. And I also crossed my fingers... And I also crossed my male hyphen with veil tail sword tail woo, on accident, but I'm excited to see what comes out of the fry. Yeah, uh, it can't hurt. I mean, veil tails often already have a, in the strains I, I've had, 
I mean, I feel like Veiltails and Hyphen are, are often kind of integrated, like the Hyphen's already latent in a lot of the Veiltail strains that I've played with in the past. Um, I know that that's not always the case, but the breeders I was getting them from seemed to have crossed in at some point. Barbarous Bloodshed. That is a good gaming name. Just a moment. <clears throat> Oh, but before I get to Barbaros, so Tristan, um, I'll keep that in mind. If other folks email me or tell me that they want them too, then I have no problem ordering fish in uh, for folks, even if they aren't like something that I would normally seek out on my own. That's I have no problem doing that. As long as it's not like a rose tail bed or something where I feel like that fish is not going to have a good life. I don't want to support the development of stuff like that. That That is where I... Uh, I don't judge people to do that, but that's where I personally draw the line is any fish I feel like can't have a good quality of life. But uh, balloon swordtails are not that. Um, they, they seem to swim around and be happy and just fine, in my opinion. Okay, Barbaris, sorry. I know of companies here in Germany that offer whole buildings, including heating, electricity, etc., for under $100,000. And they put them up within days. Maybe there's something similar in the U.S., yeah, um, hopefully. I'm, I'm researching. If anyone here knows of... See, the problem is that there's... I'm far away from a lot of things. So my resources in some ways are limited. I'm several hundred miles away from any real metropolitan city. That's Denver. Um, and I'm looking in Billings, which is fairly large for my area. Actually big for my region because uh, populations are so low here. Um, but the one I, I contacted won't won't build in Wyoming. They're not licensed. So I'll keep looking, though. But Barbaris, yeah, I'm on the same page. I hope I can get something uh, for cheap. But still, the main cost, even if I can get the building for like, you know, 100 or a little over, the main cost is going to be in setting up all the systems. Um, Chewy LTD, I'm not using the same email address as I did that time, but Dan's Fish showed his website that has his email address on it. Okay, not, I, I'm not sure if that was meant for me, sorry. Kids Aquatics, your other brother, Daryl? <laughs> um, so Jonathan is the software engineer, Michael is the lawyer. Yep. And if you want insurance or investments, Talk to Tim. <laughs> um, Abu Aziz. Hey, Abu. Got all the fish in. They all arrived well, as always. Oh, good. I'm glad to hear that. As always from you. The wild epistles are stunning. I know. Aren't they cool? So I I have some... I, I can show a picture of this to people. I haven't made a video yet of these, but um, let me show you what we're talking about. I like these a lot. So these are cockatoides. Here they are but they're wild. So I like the double reds and red flashes and orange and all, all that. I like that. But, um, but I feel like I see them all the time. So I had a chance to get some wild cockatoides and check these out. This is the male. Um, and, and he's young, by the way, he's going to develop quite a bit more than that. And the female, she's real young too. Maybe not as splashy as the more commonly available cockatoidy strains, but I don't know. I just, I just like them. So I'm glad, Abu, that you like them. Yeah, they're, 
they're cool fish and I hope you can breed them. They're doing really well for me. And I think if I had the right cave set up in there and stuff that they would go ahead and spawn. So I hope you have good luck. True LTD, did you see the video that Dan's fish, fish showed yesterday of Tanaka maple leaf swordtail guppies? Well-known Asian guppy breeder. May he rest in peace. Yeah, so that was earlier today. Um, that's in the uh, Barb Fish Room tour uh, with Mike Manji from Extreme Aquatics. He, he has some Tanaka maple leaves uh, that we get to see on his fish room tour. So he, do, he does mostly barbs and stuff, but he has a few live bearers and a few other things like most of us. Matt Kelly. Hey, Dan. I read that Empire Gun Gudgeons need salt. Nope. Is this true? No. Do fry grow up in freshwater? Yes. So it depends. Empire gudgeons have a massive range. They're very, very adaptable. Some of them come from highly brackish coastal areas and, um, <clears throat> and would appreciate salt. Some of them come from even fairly soft water and would appreciate salt. I mean, they can, they're very adaptive. So the ones that are available in our hobby they all pretty much come from the same place, as far as I know. Um, and they do just fine in hard alkaline water. They do fine in somewhat brackish water. And they do fine in my soft water here. So they're, they're very adaptable. Now, the ones that live close to the ocean, they're larva, they're fry. They're really larva. They're, <laughs> they're not quite as developed as what we would think of as fry. We'll be washed out to the ocean or the estuaries at least to develop, right? But there are many populations that are landlocked into fresh water and there's no way for their babies to get to salt water and they still develop and they still become a future generation. So no, they don't need it. And I, I've never raised babies from that species, but the gentleman that told me this is one of the foremost experts in Australian fish in the world. He has a PhD in the subject. He's uh, been at the forefront of saving endangered species. I mean, he knows the habitats. He's there. He knows this stuff. <clears throat> so, um, so I totally trust that. So no, it, that's, that's a myth that they have to have salt water and that they have to have salt water in order to uh, reproduce, that the fry have to be raised in salt water. It's perpetuated all the time. And if this guy hadn't told me that, I would have thought the same thing. And in fact, I think earlier when I was researching them and talking about them and first got them, I think I probably perpetuated that myth because it's all I knew. So until this person told me different, um, yeah, I thought so too. <clears throat> the issue with raising them is that um, they they were at one point probably a saltwater fish, if I remember right. It's been a while. Um, and they're, they're either way, their babies are more like saltwater fish babies, more like larvae than most freshwater fish babies, which um, by the time they absorb their yolk sac are, are fairly functional. So the larvae of Empire Gudgeons, from what I was told, don't even have like a working mouth yet. They're, they're truly like larvae. So the trick is to surround them with super small food that they can just swim through and engulf that way. So finding how to do that is the trick. From what I've read, again, I haven't done it more than the salt water issue. Again, all this is what I haven't done it personally, but I trust this guy implicitly. <clears throat> 
44 mad guy one. Yeah, lol. Thanks. You're welcome. <laughs> oh, we did it. We reached the bottom of the chat. Woo, good. Cause my voice is kind of going out. And it was candy overhaul saying email Dan at dansfish.com. All right. That's my email. Tim M. Apistos, is that a piece or pair price? That that's per. So they are, what was that? 12 bucks each, something like that. Oh, 17 bucks each. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's the price per. They are a little pricey. But um, please know that any fish that are pricey are that way just because they cost me a pretty penny to get. So. All right, we've reached the bottom of the chat. I am, we've been going for what? an hour and 37 minutes. I feel like it's okay to shut this sucker down. So I want to thank my mods. Thanks. Uh, who did we have today? We had Bob Kaler as always. Candy Overholes was able to join us. Thanks. And 54 Punchy was able to join us. That's awesome. Lumpy Dog, um, if I missed you, I apologize. And But I didn't see Lumpy Dog here tonight, but he's usually here. So thanks Lumpy Dog for all that you do. Everyone that sent a super chat, Greatly appreciated. Thanks so much. Never required, of course, but again, makes my wife super happy. And for everyone that kind of chimed in and chatted and helped people in the chat and stuff, thanks so much. I appreciate you all and all you lurkers. Oh, I am, jeez. I'm sorry, we're on infinite loop time. Jeez, man. All you lurkers, I'm with you. Um, until next Wednesday, 7 p.m. Mountain Time, I hope you have a great one, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye.